The text that we're going to be speaking from this morning, um, just to catch you up, if you are new, if you're visiting, or if you've been away for a couple of weeks, uh, we've been going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is a series we've begun after, um, after Pentecost Sunday, which some in the Orthodox Church actually refer to as Kingdom Tide, the time after uh, Pentecost. Uh, so it seems kind of appropriate to preach from uh, this set um, of texts for a time that's about what, is, uh, what does the kingdom look like. And so this, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. And so we've just finished in chapter 5 and I summarised last week uh, that this is um, possibly... The easiest way to summarise the text so far is don't be divided. Here are all the ways that, you know, in our current culture we find ourselves being divided against each other. You know, give some some examples of how we're divided and, and then comes to the point where there's some naming of some stuff that does divide. So... The question is asks, asked, what do we do with what already divides us? And, um, and the end of chapter 6 uh, speaks of how to uh, respond to those who mistreat us, how to respond to uh, even the mistreatment of others. Um, and then we land in chapter 6. Before I read the text, they nearly got away with coming in after the announcements, but um, it's Jared and Kat's wedding anniversary today and they just snuck in. So, uh, yeah, feel free to say congratulations to them afterwards. Um, Nice try. Nearly got there. (laughs) Slide in the back row. Um, So I'm going to read from chapter one. through to chapter 5, but I'm going to put together uh, this and a text at the end, and I'll explain in a minute. So from verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you've got the NRSV, it'll say, be careful not to practice your piety in front of others. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I, tell, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I'll give you a couple of words that might be different in your translation. One of them... Uh, might be what is summarised in uh, the version I've got here as giving to the needy. In the NRSV, it'll say your almsgiving, a word that I really struggle to say, A-L-M-S, which the the word that they're translating is probably best summarised in your acts of mercy. That's kind of important to what I'm going to explain. The second part of the text this morning 
um, that I want to read is from later on in the chapter. And this isn't just my idea. If you look at the, uh, the lectionary text, um, so when uh, the wider church reads from this text, they'll connect it and read both of these passages. Chapter 6, uh, verse 1 to 5, and then verse 16 through to verse 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their face to show when they are fasting. Truly I tell you that they will have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let me just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your way that you reveal to us in Jesus. Lord, we pray this morning as we seek to understand the way that you have revealed to us, as we seek in these scriptures what you're sharing with us in ways that we can uh, follow you. Lord, I pray that we would see Jesus, that we would see who you are, that we would see your heart, that we would be drawn into a way that looks more like the way that you revealed to us in Jesus. Amen. I used to really struggle with the requirements in this part of the text. I started out in church probably about 15 or 16 years old and my leaders would talk about fasting and then there would be this whole song and dance around fasting that involved them not being allowed to tell anyone that they're fasting. If you've been like in Christian culture long enough to maybe remember when that was quite a, uh, maybe it is still in some spaces, like, but it would be to the point where you would almost lie about what was going on because you, you couldn't tell anyone that you were fasting because then it would like ruin the magic. Like, am I the only one that experienced this? Did anyone like it? This is, it would, so you would, you would kind of just be like, oh no, I'm not, no, 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 I've, I've already eaten. You know, and you're like, you mean I've already eaten like last week or something, you know. Um, or, or you'd like avoid being in space. You, know, you go on camp and this is, for some reason, everyone would decide to fast when they're on camp with everyone else because that's a good idea, right? Um, and then try not to tell anyone that they're fasting because like, but if you've heard any of the sermons we've been preaching over the last month or two, you remember that we started this series talking about uh, the fact that this is a way of Jesus showing us not that here's a set of instruction that we have to obey, a new law, and not here's a set of instruction that is impossible for us to live up to, so don't worry about it. This is some kind of, like, so if we look at this and go, what is Jesus showing us if it's not here's a way that you, can't, you can avoid ruining the magic in fasting? Um, not saying they're actually. Or in giving. Because, you know, that's the other place, right? Like, you don't tell anyone or talk about your giving. Um, 
often we kind of miss uh, a line, this conversation about acts of mercy, almsgiving with tithing or giving, that, um, that they're kind of two different conversations really. One is about community bringing together the resources that they have, each giving according to what they can uh, so that we can always be able to make room for more, so that we can always include, uh, provide for the needs. And another, this almsgiving is kind of like the passage before where it's like, well, what do we do with that reality that there are things that already divide us. This is kind of the, the kind of giving that happens. What is the answer to the question of what do we do when things are already not as they should be and some people are suffering? It's that kind of giving. You know. um, it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others for if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Or think in one of the other gospel passages, it says, for you will already have your reward in heaven. It's the way that it puts it. The conversation here isn't that there's some reward waiting if you just give the right way or fast the right way. We'll pray the right way, as we're going to talk about next week. It's actually that if you get to this point in the text and the teaching of Jesus, if we've got to chapter 6 and we haven't realised that those of us that have the means to give or to show mercy where it's required and we don't, we've missed the point that we already have our reward. We are already the ones for they already have their reward is not a casual underhanded dig. It's pointing to the fact that they are already the ones who we would describe as blessed. The reason this whole thing starts with the outline of the Beatitudes saying, blessed are the poor, blessed are the mourning, blessed are those who are suffering, who are oppressed. All of those things that it starts with in chapter 5 is turning the idea on its head that those who have are the ones who God has decided should have. Because that's the understanding. I'd like to say, especially in the ancient world, I'd like to say we were past the idea that if you've been given a lot, God somehow favours you. I'd like to say we were past that. But that was certainly the understanding. The kings had the power because they had the privilege and the stuff and the wealth and the armies because God decided they should. That's the understanding of the ancient world. And Jesus comes to say, not that, but this. And so when it says that they already have their reward, 
He's just continuing the earlier conversation. He's just showing that if we think we come to prayer, fasting, to giving, with the idea that we're going to get more from God, if we're seeking to be honoured by others because of the things that we do with the privilege we have of the freedom to be able to say, I'm going to go without food. So you know who doesn't need to fast as a spiritual practice? Those who are already going without. This is speaking to those who it has to become a dis- discipline to recognise that there are some that go without. I want to look at a text in Isaiah chapter 58. You can read this whole chapter later. But it talks about true fasting, true giving. Coming out of a conversation about what some of the religious leaders of the day might have given people the idea that fasting was about. He says that they ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. They say, why have we fasted and we've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? And then he says, on the day of your fasting... You do as you please, you exploit your workers, your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth. And it goes on to talk about the rebuilding of the cities. The repairing of the broken walls. Restoring of the dwellings. This is the kind of fasting, prayer, giving, Verse 13 of that same chapter goes on to talk almost as if it's inherently connected. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honourable. On the day of your fasting... There is a day of their fasting as was regularly practiced. So one of the days of fasting that is being referred to here is the Sabbath every week. They're saying, what good is your religious practice if you go on to do the very things that that religious practice was supposed to alleviate? What good is our religion if we're doing it just to be acknowledged by others? That's 
the connection between these thoughts, what good if it doesn't actually bear witness to the kingdom? See, the Sabbath in the Old Testament, like all of the law that points to who God is, is a witness of what is to come. It's not that, you know, when all things are made new that we'll then have a Sabbath regularly. It's that that Sabbath is actually pointing to what the new world will look like. Where everyone has enough, no one goes without, no one is striving. And because no one is striving, no one is using any other person for their own means or benefit. The first thing that's connected to this. When it says, this is the kind of fasting I require, speaks about the yoke of the oppressed being shed. The first thing that's connected when it says that this, what is going wrong here, is it connects it to your workers still being mistreated. The Isaiah in this text, like Matthew most likely, speaking to a certain class of people mostly. Matthew writes to those who are probably uh, his peers. Matthew was a tax collector. You speak to what you know, right? He's probably speaking to those who are in that kind of arena, those who have. And yes, he speaks truth about other spaces, but more often than not, the way he's speaking is inclined towards that group. See, when Jesus comes and heals on the Sabbath, he doesn't break the law, he fulfills it. When Jesus heals the woman on the Sabbath, he frees her from a position of being dependent on others, of being unable to provide for herself, being less than, being excluded from society. He frees her from that. And in doing so, he fulfills the law He doesn't ignore it because the Sabbath was always intended to set people free. And when the Pharisees challenge him, he says, is the Sabbath not made for mankind? It's not that mankind is made for the Sabbath. See, the point of this text That we're not to get caught up in the practice for our own benefit. It's not about what we present to others. It's not about what we can gain by giving enough or giving the right way or fasting the right way or saying the right words. But it's about becoming the kind of world that Jesus came 
so that we can live into, so that we would have the ability to walk that way, not the way that says, if I've got the stuff, then God intended for me to have it and so therefore I can... I have literally heard the opposite of what Duncan quoted this morning about if you have more than what you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. I've heard it taught that we, we should pray for God to give us bigger containers so that we can contain the blessing that God wants to give us. How, how different that is to the message that Jesus teaches us. We've missed the point. I don't think it's by accident Then, in the midst of these conversations, Jesus teaches us how to pray. In the midst of going, this is what I came to set you free from, he says, but here, here's how to pray. Almost as if to say this is the way to be set freed from that. It's to be shaped by becoming a people able to pray like he teaches us to pray. I'm going to ask the band to come and join me this morning. This isn't a religious instruction designed to give us a way not you know, or a way to get the blessing. It's not, it's not something that we need to worry about whether we're, we're doing it right or not or can we talk to anyone about, you know, about fasting because then they'd know we're fasting or could we, can we talk to ever, anyone about what it means to give or because then we don't want people... Like, this is Jesus' encouragement to be set free from the ways that the world had decided they would be able to be blessed. Blessed are these. And if you're in a position to give and you do it for your own benefit, you've not seen. You already have the benefit. You already have your reward. You haven't seen the heart of God yet. Here, pray this, let it change you. Simple as that. Kind of like God that says, I've shown you what my heart is towards mankind. I've shown you that it's, it's not about getting it all right It's not about following the letter of the law, but knowing the God who spoke it so that people would be set free, so that people would see who he is and hear his heart. God that stepped into our situation. Not to be another way 
to show us how we're not right, but to show us he was willing to walk into our world to make us his own. To show us the lengths he would go to and the way to do it that doesn't hold power over others. You know, the interesting thing about this text and its discussion of acts of mercy, if you've ever been involved in charity work or missions work, especially recently, the discussion about what's an ethical way to do those things. We talk a lot about moving from charity to justice. The, the broader conversation in the world today is looking at whether our giving can be done in a way that doesn't hold power over people but empowers people. This is the conversation held by people, not only those who are attempting to follow Jesus, but just people who've seen the outcome of the way things are done and are looking for a better way. Well, Jesus told us that there's a better way. See, if we can, we can step into those places of our acts of mercy being done where one hand doesn't know what the other is doing, then we take away that aspect of shame that comes with someone being used as an example of look how great we are because of what we've given. And when you can recognise that there's a need and do it, this idea of giving as an act of mercy, recognising the world isn't the way that it should be yet. And so then that sometimes requires of us to witness to the way that it should be. So making sure that everyone has dignity, everyone has access to the things that they need, but doing it in a way that doesn't hold power over people. And doing it in a way that seeks to empower those people that even challenges the things that have led to that situation in the first place, that asks the question, what will it take for the world to look more like this picture that we're called to live into? And it takes us being shaped to live more like Jesus. It takes us recognising a God who lay down his own life rather than taking power over others. Who would rather be crucified by the system than play the game of the system. That's the relationship with God that we're invited into. Not always going to be an easy walk, in fact, he said, the way is narrow. That every situation requires wisdom and discernment given by the Holy Spirit that we need to seek daily to be shaped 
and remade more like Jesus, it's not an easy walk. It's not an easy answer. It's the way of discipleship. Surrendering our lives to a God who surrendered his. So the invitation this morning. Recognising that we certainly haven't always got it right. And not because we once slipped up and told someone that we were fasting or someone saw how much money we put in the bucket. But because we don't yet look the way that we need to, we don't yet walk the way of Jesus in every way. And sometimes we get caught up in doing things because of how other people will see it. Sometimes we get caught up in doing things thinking that we know best rather than recognising that there are people in situations that know better for their own people what they need. Sometimes we get caught up doing things well-intentioned but we miss the mark. Sometimes we just do things our own way and forget to look to the way of Jesus. Sometimes we get so caught up worrying if our religion is right, we forget to notice that there is still space in this world for acts of mercy. There is still space in this world for generosity. The invitation this morning is to take a moment to confess where we fall short, to embrace the forgiveness of a God who walked the way before us, shows us the way to go, has grace for all of us. And the incredible good news that there is always space for all of us. No matter how far we go, how far we fail, how far we fall, there is always space for you. There is always grace. You are always being invited back into the way. As you take time this morning... I invite you, if you want to pray and confess this morning that you haven't always got it right and ask this morning for the Holy Spirit to show you how to walk the way of Jesus. As you take a moment to consider that for yourself. And if that's where you're at, we're going to stand and pray a prayer of confession together. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer 
that has committed your life to following Jesus or maybe you prayed a prayer asking for salvation and then didn't go about the following part maybe like me today you know there's ways that you still need to seek to be remade whatever your situation this morning that's you, you can pray this after me. We don't always do it like this, but I want to invite you this morning to pray and, and share in these words. Merciful God, we come to you today. We recognize we've sinned and fallen short. By what we've done and what we've left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbor, the stranger or our enemy as you first loved us. We ask for your forgiveness today. We ask that you would show us your way and empower us by your spirit to walk in your will for the glory of your name. Amen. You're part of coming each week to church, coming along to be part of uh, a space where there's always room for others. Is recognizing the different people, learning from each other, learning to show grace to each other, walking. It's funny, I used to believe that you really couldn't be a Christian on your own because you needed someone to tell you where you went wrong. And like, kind of 99% of the way there, I think what I've realised as got older and learnt more about scripture and God, maybe, realised that it's more that as we encounter God and see God in the lives of everyone around us, they show us. You don't need to tell. You know, it's one of the things that that text in Isaiah talks about is the way that they judge one another. It's incredible how you don't actually need anyone to judge you. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen it be helpful. But when we commit to walking in relationship with one another, see if I care about what matters to you, when something's hurt or offended you, 
then it should matter to me. As I build relationships with people who look different to me and start to care about what matters to them, then it affects me too. We can't actually become the people we're called to be unless we can be alongside each other. But when we do, the promise is that around the table we share with one another, as we grow in relationship with one another, we encounter God. Each week when we come to church and we share communion, we're telling that story. Maybe to those who are here for the first time, who've never been part of that kind of community, we paint a picture, a witness to what is to come, what is our truth, that we're beginning to live into and we're reminded ourselves sometimes maybe more often than not that this is the people that we're called to be where we come to the table each one of us alongside others and every week we're reminded that it's by the grace and the mercy of a God who poured out his life for us that we're empowered to do that. So this is the table. Not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come. You who have much faith, and you who have a little, you who have been here often, and you who have just come for the first time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, you who have failed in following Jesus, and you who have just decided to follow Jesus today, come. Let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Leave now, if necessary, go and be a forgiver, then run back, because it is the Lord who invites us. It is God's will that those who desire Christ would encounter him here by the power of the Holy Spirit. So come. Yes, Lord, you are so worthy. Oh, Lord, sometimes it feels like um, we're not making that big impact or that um, we're not seeing the changes that we want to see. Let's remember to take the log out of our own eye before we take the speck out of our brothers. Lord, we pray that church would not be a dirty word, that sanctuary would be a place of light, um, a refreshing place, Lord, where people can find that peace, that everlasting peace comes from knowing and being with you, Jesus. Yes, thank you, Lord. Well, church, we'd like to finish on our benediction. So. Church, we come as we are, but we are sent out not the same. Sanctuary, he speaks over us a new name to bless and rebuild this city. So we go, broadcast good news for the poor, let the blind see.
set free the oppressed, live jubilee, let it be in his liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's kingdom of mercy. Amen. Amen. Love you.